Can we just thank those who were a part of this memorial today? Wow. We've already had two worship services this weekend. I've seen that two times. It messes me up every time I see it. Because <clears throat> I am a um, red-blooded, flag-waving American patriot. And I am not ashamed of that. <laughs> Whatever country you're from, you ought to feel the same way about your country. And uh, we just are, are just so happy to have all of you here today for this very, very special memorial service. We're talking about giving life, giving life in this church. We give life in a lot of different ways, and we're going to learn even more ways to be life-giving Christians. Uh, one of the ways that we give life is to our missionaries we believe in foreign missions in this church, and we want to bless those who not only preach the gospel here in this wonderful country called America, but those who uh, break through the borders and go into foreign lands and across the sea and through the air. And um, we try to make raising funds for missionaries, we try to make that a lot of fun. And so we're having a golf tournament to raise money for our missionaries. And we want you to play golf with us. Now, we know that some of you uh, kill more squirrels playing golf than you do when you go squirrel hunting. We understand that. But we still want you to come on out and play golf with us. Our tournament is on September 23rd. If you own a business or you have any kind of influence with your business, we need a lot more sponsors than we currently have. So be praying about that. Every penny, every single penny raised in this golf tournament will go to our missionaries. It will go to missionaries and missions ministries. So guys uh, and ladies too, we uh, hope you will get involved. And we have a, um, a uh, uh, display out in the main foyer there. And you can go by and they will be happy to sign you up. And also we would really love to talk to people who can help us sponsor uh, the tournament in various ways. How many of you got your newsletter, your next newsletter? How many of you? How many of you are still waiting for it? Hey, listen, it's coming. I think about two-thirds of you don't know whether you've got it or you don't have it. But it's coming, and uh, we want you to read these. These are very, very important that you read them. And so it'll be uh, coming to your house very soon if you have not already gotten it. And uh, God is moving in our church, and, and God is uh, providing very clear direction for our church. Really, I'll be honest with you guys, more than ever before, I've been here 21 years as pastor of this church, I've never seen God be more clear in my 21 years about who we are to be and what we are to do next than he is being in my life right now. Now, it could be that I'm just listening better. That could be what it is, but whatever it is, whether he's speaking louder and clearer or whether I'm just listening a lot better than I used to, God is speaking into the life of this church, and God is telling us what he wants for us next. Now, this is a very, very important sermon series because what we're doing in it is we are clarifying our vision. I think it's essential that a church has two things. Now, I think it's essential that a church has a lot more than two things, but two things primarily. Number one, we need a vision. We need to know where are we going? 
Who are we? What does God want us to do in this community? What does God want us to do beyond this community? And so God has put a vision in our heart, and we'll be talking about that in major detail. The other thing is a culture within that church that supports the vision. Because you can have vision all day long, but if the congregation and the way the church functions, if that culture doesn't support that vision, then that vision will never become a reality. I want to say to you, I want to brag on you a little bit today, that you people believe in vision and you follow vision. It's a beautiful thing to see. But you also understand the second element that I just mentioned that many, many churches don't understand. And that is a culture, a mindset. You have a mindset to not only know the vision, see the vision, clarify the vision, but you understand that we have to behave and have certain ways of thinking that cause that uh, vision to become a reality. That is called church culture. And I thank God for both the vision in this church and the culture. Let me give you just a little for instance on culture. This church, uh, one of the uh, beautiful things about this church is your willingness to change. Your willingness to change without getting all flustered about it. As a matter of fact, y'all came in here one Sunday and we didn't have pews anymore. Y'all remember that? And some of y'all were like, where are the pews? And we said, they're not here. And you said, all right, let's have church. Amen? That's what I love about you guys. I know some churches, if you took the pews, you can take Jesus out, but you better not take them pews out. And I just love you guys because, he, you know what I pick up from you? I pick up from you, pastor, whatever we got to do to get people saved, let's do it. Whatever we got to do to reach people for Jesus, whatever we got to do to get people right with God so that when Jesus comes, they can stand there ready and say, I am ready to meet you. Let's get that done. And we love, uh, we love our traditions. We got our little traditions around here. Traditions aren't a sin. I love some traditions. I tell you, when I love tradition is around Christmas time. I love tradition around Christmas time. Just do, you know, tradition of uh, like, you know, eating. I love that tradition. Uh, and eating and eating. Amen. And eating some more. I love that tradition. Uh, but, and, and you know, being with family and all the things you do at Christmas time, getting out the board games and all that stuff. Tradition's not wrong. And tradition isn't wrong in a church. We have traditions here at Whitley Church. But when tradition gets in way of the will of God, that tradition needs to be brought down. Thank all 10 of you. And uh, so we are clarifying our vision. We're taking a look very closely, probably closer than ever before, at the theological basis, the biblical foundation, the core values that drive Whitley Church and the bridge. We are considering in this sermon series why we do, what we do, the way we do it. God's called us to be a life-giving church. I believe God's called every church to be a life-giving church, but I believe God has called us to be life-giving in a very unique way. One of the unique ways we've been called to be life-giving is to put it in the vision statement. Giving life by giving Christ. Everybody just say that with me. Giving life by giving Christ. If somebody asks you, what's your church all about? Look at them and go, well, giving life by giving Christ. I mean, that's who we are. That's our vision statement. Giving life 
by giving Christ. So if we are a life-giving church, it's very important that we understand what the characteristics and the qualities are that would cause somebody to look at our church and define it or call it, identify it as a life-giving church. Now, the sermon series is called Giving Life by Giving Christ, but underneath that title, we have a little subtitle called 10 Qualities of a Life-Giving Church, and we've already covered two of them, and we'll cover the third one today. The first quality of a life-giving church is that a life-giving church understands, let me just say this very quickly, you can't have a life-giving church without having life-giving individual Christians. I mean, we can't come here and be life-giving as a corporate body and then go out there and be not life-giving. We have to be life-giving out there. You're going to get a chance to be life-giving right after this service in the parking lot. Amen? Because when that person pulls out in front of you, you know, and you've been crying through the September 11th thing and hallelujah during pastor's sermon, then somebody pulls out in front of you and you go, I'm about to take that guy out. See, that's not life-giving. That is not life-giving right there. And I gotta tell y'all something, we got the law here today, so you will behave yourself today. <clears throat> Life-giving in the parking lot. How I many of you know we got to start out there in the parking lot? Amen. And when you get in that long line to 70 and you're trying to get to 70 and beat that other guy to Bojangles, you know, and, and, and the guy in front of you, he, he, he's got, the, they got to be no cars all the way to Princeton before he's going to pull out on 70. And you're sitting there and you're going, I could have pulled out 10 times waiting for that guy. You, you got to calm down, man, and give some life. Give some life. Get you a horn that when you mash it, it says, Jesus saves. Amen. You better hope he does because I'm about to run over you. Amen. All right. So, we're going to have fun today, aren't we? So, a church that is life-giving understands, number one, it's on a mission. It isn't about a religion. Let me say something to you. We, we're not about religion. I'm going to Whitley Church and get some religion. You're going to be sorely disappointed because we ain't got no religion around here. Amen. That's bad English, but some good preaching right there. Because religion says I can make it to God by what I do. No, you can't. You can do all kind of good stuff, give all kind of money, and we'll take every penny and spend every penny. We thank you for it, but it won't make you right with God. You, you, you understand that being a Christian isn't about religion. Being a Christian is about waking up every morning going, I'm on a mission today. Now you say, well, I gotta go to work. I got, I got a job and then I gotta take the kids to school and then, you know, I just gotta, hold on. I gotta go by the grocery store and pastor, I can't be on a mission. You're on a mission when you take them kids to school. You can have some church on the way to school now. That's some good teaching time right there. I remember my boys, I'd have stuff on my mind. We used to live right across the road here in the parsonage. And my boys would load up in the back seat with their little book bags and stuff. And we'd head off to Rosewood Elementary for me to drop them off. And I'd have a bunch of stuff on my mind because I'm a pastor. And I remember we'd almost be at church sometimes. And Mitchell Brandon One would say, you know, we didn't pray, Daddy. We didn't pray. You can have some church on the way to school. And, and <clears throat> so, so you're on a mission all the time. You drop those kids off, you go to your job, you're on a mission. Listen to me. You're always an ambassador of Christ. You're always a representative of Jesus. 
When you walk out of here, you don't cut the Jesus thing off. You don't cut the Bible, God, church thing off. You're, you're that above whatever your occupation is. You say, well, I own my own business, and we're doing good, and it's flourishing, and I'm over that. You mean me being an ambassador of Christ is bigger than me managing, owning, uh, being the CEO of a big Absolutely. That's your secondary job. Your first job is representing Jesus in this world. Amen, amen, amen. Now, he doesn't expect you to, you know, put on a black suit and a black hat like they did in the old days and walk around and, you know, be all religious. That's not, that's not what we're talking about, but in your in your life, and we'll mention this very quickly in just a minute, in your life there is a purpose, there is a mission. You're always on mission, and the life-giving Christian understands that. Now, if you're not life-giving, you can just be religious when you're at church, or you can just be spiritual when you're at church. But if you're life-giving, you represent Jesus, and you understand that, and you function out of that mindset every single day of your life. So what is the mission? Well, Jesus said in John 10, 10, Jesus said, my purpose, my mission in coming is to give life in all its fullness. So if Jesus' mission was to give life, and now we're called the what of Christ, the body, we're the body of Christ now. So if the body of Christ when he was on the earth was to give life, then the body of Christ now that he's ascended into heaven left us full of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ in us now should be the same mission and that is to give life. And the only way you can give life is by giving Christ. So number one, if you're gonna be life-giving as an individual and life-giving as a church, you understand you're on a mission. Number two, we understand that it is a lifestyle, not a set of beliefs. Now, we got a set of beliefs. We've got a doctrinal statement. You can go on our website, and you can read it, and, and, and we can give you hard copies of it, and you can read, and, and we hope you will. And if you come to dinner with the staff uh, to learn more about our church, um, we're going to give you that in a, in a printed form. And, and we have a set of beliefs in this church. I think that's very, very important. But I think sometimes churches stop right there. They want to show you on paper what they are. Here's what we believe at Whitley Church. We want to show you by our actions what we are. We want to show you by our actions what we are. You see, when we talk about God calling us to a lifestyle of being life-giving, we, we're talking about doing not just agreeing, not just saying amen, not just saying good preaching, good teaching, good worship, good skit, good memorial service. All that's good. I like that. I love my church. Great, great, great. I love my church. Well, we appreciate that. We want you to love your church. But there is a lifestyle of service, a lifestyle of doing. I love this statement. It says, we learn last week, that a life-giving church has a bias toward action, not just information. A life-giving church has a bias toward action, not just information. Very, very important to let that sink in. Let me say, let me say this. The world out there is sick and tired of us talking and not doing. They, they want to... They, they, they're tired of coming, and all we're about is information, and then we go out there and live pretty much the same way they live during the week. They're looking for something different. 
The, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, needs to be demonstrated, not just explained. And so God has called us to be a church of doing. Now, what are we going to look at today? Number three, the third quality of a life-giving individual Christian, which creates a corporate body, life-giving church, is that we help people to find their gift and operate in that gift. The lifestyle that God wants each and every one of you to live is built around your unique God-given gifts. We talk about this all the time. Every single one of you this morning have one gift. Some of you have two or three gifts. Most of us have primary giftings and secondary giftings, okay? Um, some people I run into, it looks like when God was pouring out gifts, somebody bumped his elbow because they got like 10 gifts. I mean, you ever met somebody's good at everything? It's hard for me to be life-giving to those people because got a little green envy inside me when I see people who are just good at everything. But God made some people like that. Um, so what we want to help you do, if we're a life-giving church, because here's what a lot of churches do, and I, and I did it for years, guys. I did it for years. Stand up and go, you ought to help us. You ought to get involved. You ought to volunteer. You ought to get involved in the life of this church. You ought to serve. You, well, you know, you can preach that all day, but what we have to do is give people a path so that you can discover your gift and then you can sit down with somebody and they can help you get plugged in to the ministry of this church. So we have a class that is starting Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night. And it is called D2, Discipleship 2. And it helps you do that very thing. In three classes, we're going to help you discover what you're good at. Now, some of you don't need this class probably. Some of you can take it just to get more study, but you've actually been in the church so long You've heard much of the teaching that's going to be in that class, but some of you really are kind of at a loss about what it is you're supposed to be doing and what it is you're really effective at. And Jeff Elmore is going to teach that class, and Jeff's going to help you. Help you. Now, he's not going to tell you what your gift is, but he's going to help you discover it. He's going to help you find out what your gift is, and then we're going to get you plugged into the life of this church. Now, that class is limited it is limited, and so uh, it's first come, first serve, but we'll offer it again. If you don't get in on this one, we'll offer it again. But uh, we have the computer set up in the foyer, and uh, if you go online at home, you can do this at home. Some people don't, or some people are, are, are like me. They just don't really understand how all that works. And so if you want to go out there, we can sign you up for that class. But I want you to make a commitment to me. If you're going to take that class, here's a novel idea. Come to it. Come to the class. As a matter of fact, I think what we're going to do is get $50 from you and you get it back if you complete the class. Because we get in, nah, we're not going to do that, but I did think about it. Um, because a lot of times we have people sign up and then we got all this work to set the, I'm going to just preach a little, can I do a little inside housekeeping here? Can I, can I talk to Whitley Church? If you're not from Whitley Church, you're visiting today. Uh, 
just say amen because I ain't talking about you, all right? Uh, punch somebody and go, he's talking about you now. Okay. We, we set it up. We go to all kinds of trouble. We print off tons of material. All this stuff costs a ton of money. And then, and then people who signed up are just like, oh, yeah, I forgot I signed up. Or I think I'll try to do it next time. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's get committed here. Amen? Let's get committed. If you're going to sign up, come on, take the classes. Let's get that information. Let's grow in Jesus and do what God called us to do. Now, I want you to look at the book of Job, chapter 10 and verse 8. Job 10 and 8. The Bible says, God's hands formed me. Formed and what? Shaped me. Everybody say that. Let's read that together. It's a real short verse. Let's all say it together. Get on the same page here. God's hands formed and shaped me. Now, what old Job, Job's going through it. You know, you know Job's story. You know, Job uh, was wealthy and healthy and and wise, and I mean, he was one of the richest men of his day, and um, God came to Satan. See, a lot of people tell that story, and, and they say Satan came to God and said, I can't get to Job, but God actually came to Satan. Read your Bible, and he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan was like, yeah, can't get to him. Can't get to him. You lower the wall, let me in on his life. He will deny you. And God lowered the wall. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his health. Job lost his family. Now, all of that's terrible. But the worst thing that happened to him was some people from the church came to visit him. And the first thing they said was, my uncle died of that right there. You ever had a visit from that person? That is not life-giving. Can I just tell you that? And then the other one said, yeah, I heard about you being sick and everything. And I was thinking, man, what did Job do to deserve this? You ever had somebody come along with that counsel for you when you're in the valley? And so Job got all that. He caught all that. But Job understood that in the middle of all that turmoil, he had to get his ears away from those kind of people. Y'all with me out there? He had to get his eyes off of those kind of people, and he had to focus on God. And when he did, this is what he said about God. I know I've lost everything. I know I've lost everything. I know I've lost everything. But he formed me. Somebody needs to hear this today because you're feeling a little bit like Job, and you need to remember, he formed me with his hands. He shaped me with his hands to accomplish for him a particular mission in my time on this earth. Can I just say to you, you are not here on this earth by accident. You're not an accident. God knew you before you were even inside your mom, he knew you. God's got this big old file cabinet up in heaven. And there's a file in there with your name on it. And inside that file are plans for your life. You're not an accident. You say, I don't even know who my daddy is. It don't matter. You're God's beautiful creation. Do you hear me today?
God's beautiful creation. And God has a will for your life. And he had that will laid out. He had that will prepared long before you were ever conceived inside your mother. You're not an accident. You're the apple of his eye. You're the apple of his eye. If you knew how much God loved you this morning, there's nothing you would not attempt for him. Some of you think that because of something you've done in your past or because of your family background or your pedigree, or you, you think somehow because of all that that God has done this, that God has gone... I'm done. I've given you a handful of chances and you've blown every one of them and I'm done with you. Some of you think you've been disqualified. I want to say something real strong, so buckle your seatbelt. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from hell. That's a lie from the enemy. Listen, if he can get you to believe that, you'll be useless to God. God is saying to you today, you are precious to me. You are the apple of my eye. If you will let me, I will do mighty things through your life. I will do powerful things through your life. You're not disqualified. I remember when I was a little kid, we were playing baseball. I was playing baseball for the very first time in my life. I think it was the very first time, literally. And they let me bat. And I was standing up at the plate, and I struck out. And they said, you're out. Well, I thought I was out. I went home. <laughs> I thought they meant you're out of the game. You're just out. I didn't know I could keep playing. That's how some of you feel. You feel like you're not in the game anymore. You feel like you're disqualified. You've had a failure in your life. You've had maybe a, maybe a moral failure. Maybe, a, maybe a, you committed a sin or I, I don't know what happened and, and the enemy looked at you and went, That's done. you're done, you're fried, buddy. God will never use you again. You're, you're, you're damaged goods. You're second class. Oh, you might make it to heaven, but I tell you what you need to do. Before you get to heaven, you just need to stay in the background because nobody don't need nothing from you. That is such a lie. You know what Paul said? Paul said, before I was a Christian, I was the best sinner there was. You know what I found? And I'm not promoting this now. I'm not recommending this. But I have found that some of your most hardcore sinners, if you ever get them to turn to Jesus, they are the most hardcore believers. Amen. I love that. That's what Paul was saying about himself. See, when you were in your mother's womb, God chose the chromosomes that would make you unique. Unique. That's how you catch a wabbit, unique up on him. But... It has nothing to do with anything. I apologize, Jesus. I'm sorry. Your chromosomes are like nobody else. 
Your jeans are like nobody else. I saw jeans up here today, had holes in them. Your jeans. But then I found out that the ones with the holes in them cost more, so whatever. But, I'll pick on them. Your jeans were selected by God. See, God didn't go, God didn't go, okay, make these 500 million people like this. Just make them like that. God took each one of us in. You say, how in the world did he do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he's here this morning and down there at the Methodist church. I don't know. He just is. I don't know how he just looked at you and went, okay, Farrell Hardison. Whoo. It's going to take a day for this one. Uh, <laughs> he chose. He put me together. He put me together. And, and you know that when you see something like me, that God's got an awesome sense of humor, don't he? I mean, just look at some of the animals he made. Look at a, look at a mule. I mean, you just got to look at that and go, that's awesome, God. Cool deal right there. That's funny. You know? I mean, God's just creative. And uh, tell you about God. He wants you to be you. He wants you to quit trying to be somebody else. See, because if you, re- I'm about to give you all some deep thought right here, so you want to get your pen out on this one. If you refuse to be you, then the world is at a loss because there's nobody else that's going to be you in this world. Nobody's as good a you as you are. You're the best you there is. And when you try to be somebody else, God's like, I already got that guy. I need you to be. I want to be Billy Graham. I want to stand in front of people and go, on the way out, there will be literature. Come, come, people, come, come from all over the stadium. I never got to preach in a stadium, so I could never use the word stadium, but come. God went, man, quit trying to be Billy because you ain't going to make it. And I made you to do something different. You know what's amazing? Is that every one of us are going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? That's huge right there. Because see, here's what y'all think. Y'all think you're going to get there in front of Jesus and go, I got a ticket. I'm going in heaven. (laughs) Jesus is going to go, whoa. Yeah, you get to go into heaven. Because good works is not what got you in there. What got you in there is a relationship with me. But I did want to ask you something right before you go in there. What did you do? with the tools and gifts and resources and stuff I gave you. Once I did save you and forgive you of your sins and uh, you let me come in your heart and you were born again. After that, what'd you do? What'd you do? Jesus is going to go, you're going to go, ah, I gave a 10 every Sunday, $10 bill every Sunday, if I had it. Then Jesus goes, so Jesus made $100 a week. Then he's going to go, so so, okay, let's get off the money thing. What did you do? I gave you some gifts, gave you some talents. What did you do with those gifts and talents? Uh, I criticized a lot. Is that a gift? And Jesus will go, no, but if it was, you got it. You see what I'm saying? 
God's going to look at Pharaoh Hardison. He isn't going to just let Pharaoh Hardison come into heaven. He's going to look at me and go, man, you made it. You're coming into heaven. But what would you do, man? What would you do? I gave you some gifts and talents and stuff. What would you do with that? And you've got to answer. You've got to answer. You've got to answer that. You're unique. There's never been anyone like you before or after. And if you want to know how your life fits into God's will, then here's what you've got to do. And we're going to help you do it through that class. And if you don't catch it this time, you can catch it next time. But we're going to help you pursue understanding. You've got to pursue understanding about who you are. How God uniquely made you for particular purposes. Let me close by just giving you a passage of Scripture. Let's look at uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 18. We'll, we'll close with this. Now, this is a guy talking about, talking to God about how God feels about him. And there's some of you sitting here who you think God don't like you. You think God's mad at you. You say, well, if you knew what I did last night, you'd think God was mad at me too. Well, he may be brokenhearted, but he's not mad at you. He may be brokenhearted for you, but he's not mad at you. He loves you this morning. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last night. He loves you this morning. And nothing would delight him more than to be able to put his arms around you and just love on you and kiss you on the neck and just to begin a relationship with you. I don't care what you did last night or what you've ever done in your past. I can tell you what Jesus wants right now, and that is to to be with you and to have relationship with you. He says in Psalm 139, 13, he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. So as little Kennedy Dean lays in Pitt Memorial, see what I have to remember when I pray for her is that God made her brain. And I know there was an aneurysm, and I know that aneurysm ruptured, and I know this family was thrown into crisis bigger than anything they ever dreamed they would go through, and they were thrown into it in an instant, in a moment, without any kind of warning. And there are some things I have to remember when something like that happens, and that is that what is a shock and surprise to us is never a shock and surprise to him. He's ready to handle it. We're not ready to handle it, but he's ready. The other thing I have to remember is that that brain was knitted together by God. So God can fix that brain today. Look at verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, I've got a feeling this verse was written by a woman. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe a woman stepped in and wrote that verse, Women are complex, aren't they? You know what? I love that about them. I've been married to Millie for about 32, 30, 30 million years. <laughs> and we'll be sitting in the den, you know, and we're talking. And she, and, and see, I think I've got, I know this woman. I've got her figured out. And she will say something. And I'll look down there like, who in the world is that? And I go, baby, we've been married 32 years. I had no idea you, 
you thought that or, or you even knew about that or and she looks down there and goes deal with it <laughs> the thing I love about Millie is I never can get bored with her because she's always reinventing herself <laughs> wonderfully complex I'm glad he put wonderfully in there Look at the next part of verse 14. Your workmanship is. Now when he's talking to God about God's workmanship, who's he talking about? Us. So in the morning when you get up, don't comb your hair, brush your teeth, nothing. Just go look in the mirror and go, you look marvelous. (laughs) Because God made us marvelous. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you something. I know we're laughing, but some of y'all need this because you think God don't think that about you. Yes, he does. Your wife probably don't think that about you, but God thinks that about you. You're marvelous. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it look at that faith look at verse 15 now i want to go ahead and tell you and i know this is controversial but i want to go ahead and tell you we're a church that believes abortion is wrong but if you're sitting here today and you've had an abortion i want to tell you jesus will wash that out of your life and forgive you so much of that today that to him it will be like you never did it Do y'all love some forgiveness of sin? Now, I've never had an abortion, never have. (laughs) But I've done some bad stuff. One thing I, I ain't gonna tell y'all what I did. Y'all looking at me, I ain't gonna tell us something he did. I ain't telling you nothing. None of your business what I did. But he knows. And when he forgives us, it is like to him, Now, you can't forget it sometimes, and the people around you can't forget what you did, but to him, it's like you never even did it. See, because some of you think that when God looks at you, God looks at you and goes, yeah, I know you and all that that stuff and all that. God don't even see that anymore. Man, you're as clean as Mother Teresa in front of him when you come before him and let, let him wash you in the precious blood. Uh, It's like you never did those sins. It's like you never committed any sin. He washes it from his memory. The Bible says he throws your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. And I don't even know how far that is. That's a long way right there. Because as far as I know, you can just keep going east and keep going west. There's no end to it. He says, now throw your sins out there. Now, you might come up to your family and they go, oh, yeah, I remember. You might go up to your spouse and your spouse may go, oh, yeah, I remember. You might lay down at night and you think you've got that thing behind you and the enemy brings it back up in your mind and you remember it against yourself. But God Almighty will never remember it against you ever, ever, ever again. It's good preaching right there. Verse 15, you watched me. As I was being formed in utter seclusion. I mean, we could get into some detail right there. You saw 
mom's contribution and dad's contribution come together into one. You watched me. Now, I got to ask you something. If abortion is fine and dandy and anybody can do it and it's no big deal, why would he watch us being formed in utter seclusion? Why would he even care about that if we're nothing? Are y'all with me? He says, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded. Remember that file cabinet I told you about? There it is. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. When? Look at the previous sentence. Before I was born, you already had recorded the days of my life. Every moment was already laid out before a single day of my actual life had even happened. You had it all laid out. Who's he talking to? Every single person in this room is who he's talking to. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts about me. See, you, you, you can't say that because you think God's thoughts about you are terrible. You think God's mad, you think God's ticked off, you think God's like, I've had it, I've had it, don't talk to me, don't, talk, don't pray, don't ask me for anything. See, you think God, God never, that's, that's like the world, that's like humanity, that's like Satan, that isn't like God. God says, bring it, bring it, bring it to me every day, bring those sins every day, bring those failures every day. You'll always find me with wide open arms to receive you. I'll, you'll never find God like this. You always find God like this. How precious to me are your thoughts about me. And then he says, they cannot be numbered. And then in verse 18, he says, I can't even count them. Your thoughts about me, your good, positive, loving, compassionate thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. Anybody been to the beach lately? There's a lot of grains of sand. He says, your good thoughts about me are more than the grains of sand. And I wake up, and you're still with me. Wow. That's good stuff right there. So you see then, by being a life-giving church, we have a responsibility to help you discover and live out your spiritual gifts. Listen, we're here to position you. Here's the responsibility of your local church. We're here to position you for success in serving God. And we want to do that. Let me just close with these thoughts. One of the unique things about our church, I believe... Uh, is that we encourage individuality. Most churches want uniformity. Most churches are like, we want you to dress the same. We want you to talk the same. We want you to think the same. We want you to have the same convictions. We want you to say the same things we say, use the same words we use. And if you will look, you know, cookie cutter churches, y'all been to those cookie cutter churches? Me too, I've pastored those churches. We used to be one of those churches. And, and those churches pretty much say, whether they say it out loud or just say it in their actions and facial expressions and in the way they treat people, they're saying, unless you can conform to our uniform, we don't have any fellowship with you. But if you will conform to our uniformity, then we might let you in our little Christian club we got here called a church. Can I just say to y'all that we want the opposite? 
you go, I am not surprised. (laughs) Whatever is normal, you want the opposite. Yeah, I do. Our church is not interested in uniformity. We're interested in unity, and you can have unity and diversity. You can have unity, guys, without uniformity. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things to me that is a beautiful characteristic of our church is that you look around and you see different kinds of folks from different kinds of backgrounds, and we're just kind of all, it's all working out pretty good. Now, you're always going to rub up against each other. There's going to be a little bit of friction and stuff, and, and uh, you know, there are going to be people that are, there are going to be little things we don't all like about. But I got to tell you something, man. Overall, we got a bunch of people here. We're, we're a melting pot of different backgrounds, denominational backgrounds and all of that, and we come together, and I got to tell you, God's really poured some oil in here, and this piece of machinery ain't working too bad. Amen, amen, amen. Can we praise God for that today? Amen. Now, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and don't turn there because I'm not going to preach from it, and I know you're relieved about that, but in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and if you're taking notes, please write that down. Paul actually spins Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, teaching that whole section on unity through diversity. Unity with diversity. And that's a very, very essential part of who we are as a church. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying we're one body, but we each have a unique purpose. Now, let me, let me just balance all this out. And this is the last page. And when I move this stand, that's a good sign for y'all. The sweet spot is when you discover your gift and you minister out of that gift. That's your sweet spot. That, do you love that? I mean, I got to tell y'all something. When I'm up here doing this right here, I think my blood pressure is lower than any other time. I th- I'm less nervous. I'm less anxious. I'm less fearful when I'm standing up here than any other thing I do. Now, some of y'all I could bring up here and you would go into a coma. I understand that. And we'd have to call the rescue squad. I understand. But see, if I tried to do what you're good at, that might happen to me. So, so, We love operating in the sweet spot. Everybody say this with me. I love functioning in the will of God in my sweet spot. What you're good at, what you're talented at, what your strength is. And look, let me just say this real quick. Um, A lot of churches have this backwards. And I want to say to you parents, a lot of you parents have got this backwards. Here's what we want to do a lot of times is we want to, our children have strengths And so here's what we do. We look at our children, we go, well, I don't worry about that. You're good at that. What I want to do is bring you over here and make you good at uh, what you're not good at. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. You can mess a child up like that. You can mess a church up like that. You can mess a Christian up like that. Find out what they're good at and build on those strengths. Don't try to make an eagle be able to swim in the ocean like a fish. He can't do it. It's It's not his thing. And so, so let your eagle fly and let your little fish swim and let your little duck float and let your little rabbit hop and quit trying to make a rabbit be an eagle. And a, y'all, y'all with me out there? Function on your strengths. Function on your strengths. Now, I've seen this parenting happen. And I think if my mom were here, she'd probably say she, she parented that way. Well, I'm, we're just going to get you good at what you're not good at. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. 
Build on those strengths. Build on those strengths. Capitalize on those strengths, okay? So that's what we want to do with you. However, we can't always function in our sweet spot. Sometimes there's a crisis, and we might have to do something that's not our sweet spot. When the hurricane came, how many of you said, this is awesome because I have the gift of raking leaves and cutting up trees, and this is what I've been waiting for? I mean, I hate to praise God for a hurricane, but glory to God, I get to use my gift. I I know firemen, these firemen, they got to have a conflict of emotions, you know. They don't want nobody's house to burn down, but when that bell goes off, they're like, yeah, baby, something's burning. (laughs) Thank God for insurance, you know. Uh, So, so, um, so, One of the sayings we have around here is we want to operate in our sweet spot, but we're willing, if we're life-giving, we're always willing to give our heart and our hands to the place of greatest demand. So you may be a great teacher, but the greatest demand is in nursery. We're getting some amens now, aren't we? But look, look, at, look at what the Bible says. Guys, put that scripture up, Luke 16, 10. Jesus said, if you're faithful in nursery, <laughs> then you will be faithful in the pulpit. If you will be faithful in diapers, you will be faithful in singing on the praise team. That's good preaching right there. If you will be faithful in things that seem, they're not really, but they seem insignificant, they seem small, but they're not. How many of y'all are glad that everybody who is in the infant nursery and the preschool nursery and, or the toddler nursery and the preschool, how many of y'all are happy right now? They ain't all up in here. Amen? If you want to learn to appreciate those people, I'm going to just turn them loose in here one Sunday. We're going to try to sing and preach, and they're going to be walking around, hey, what's up, you know? So are y'all glad we got some people who are willing, though, even though it might not be their gift, they're willing to step up in that baby nursery and step up in that, in that toddler and step up in that preschool, and it may not be their number one gift, but they're willing to step up. Now I need all you who clap to sign up. Because they want to get in here too. Amen? So here's what your question ought to be. Because I, I know it's late. But because here, people use, people use this whole thing of uh, the gift as a, as a cop-out. They go, I go, uh, are you serving anywhere in our church? Not yet, but I'm seeking God, praying that he's going to reveal his will. I come back a year later, say, hey, man, where are you serving at now? Still seeking. (laughs) You know, it's in the seeking. I don't go, no, it ain't. It's in the nursery. (laughs) Y'all with me? So they use, they, they spiritualize. People will spiritualize on you in a minute to get out of some work. Now, they all come to the second service, but still, I need to preach this here in this service. Give your heart and hands to the place of greatest demand. Give your heart and hands to the little things, and God will give you some big things. 
As a matter of fact, I don't even think God will open up the big door some of you are waiting for till he sees you willing to serve in those little places. Go serve some soup to the homeless. Go help them pick out a coat for the winter when we go and take the coats for the winter. Go to the prison with Pastor Jimmy. Help the Red Cross get some blood. Is that a spiritual thing, Pastor? If you need some blood, it gets real spiritual. Hook up with us when we go help the city and, and when we reach out to the Wayne Crisis Pregnancy Center so little girls that get pregnant will have somewhere to go and they won't have to have an abortion. Help us with that, would you? Don't just come here and sit in these chairs every Sunday and act like you're some big, great Christian. Get involved. Roll up your sleeves. Let's get some work done in this community. Jesus is coming. People are sick and tired of us standing up here preaching like this, and we don't walk it out. Let's start walking it out, Whitley Church. Y'all hear me? Can I preach like that in this house? Amen. Now, here's what happens when I preach like this. 25 people come up to me and go, I'm ready to sign up. Sign me up. I can't sign you up. Go out there to that Connect Center and tell them I'm ready to serve. Pastor John nailed me today. I'm going to get involved. We will hook you up. We will get you serving, get you plugged in. Now, listen, listen. Some of you might be here and you might say, well, I've already asked 10 times. I've already asked 10 times to get involved. Keep knocking on that door. Our church, listen, listen. Our church is growing so fast. God is doing some things so that we, don't, we can't always get right with you. We need you. We need you very, very, very much. But we have so much staff, so many staff, that, and they're so limited. Just keep knocking on that door. Keep making that phone call. Keep sending that email and say, look, and tell us. Say, I've sent 10 emails. I ain't sending no more. I'm going to call the pastor. I want to get involved, and we will get you involved. We will get you hooked up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us understand that we're all gifted and we're going to stand before you one day and give an account of it. We're about to leave here, Lord, and go home. Let this word be in us today. If there are people who are hurting, we're going to pray for them after this service. Father, we just um, remember those who gave their lives 10 years ago today. We pray for our military men and women who protect our freedom around the world. Father, help us who understand that when you're life-giving, you have a bias toward action, not just information. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, if you're our guest today, pick up your gift right over here. If you're investigating this whole Jesus thing, we've got a packet of information over on this side. We're glad you're here today. God bless you.